I'm Mark Walsh, and coming up on today's show... At the end of the day, AI is going to substitute and mimic human creativity. It is. The challenge is, ultimately, what can AI not do? Welcome to What's Working in Washington on Federal News Network and streaming as a podcast. Welcome to What's Working in Washington. I'm your host, Mark Walsh. Today, we welcome once again our friend Jonathan Aberman. He's the Dean of the School of Business, Innovation, Leadership, and Technology at Marymount University here in the DMV, as they say. And Jonathan and I had a really interesting conversation about a number of things, including artificial intelligence and how it affects academia. It really does because people are writing essays using chatbot that they never did before. The state of the economy, which of course is always important to assess here in the DMV. And we talked about talent because talent breeds success in the corporate arena, not for profit and government. How are today's younger workers being judged in a post-COVID environment where many of them do not want to come into a collaborative office environment. Here's our conversation. Jonathan, welcome to the show. Always good to be here, Mark. So business, innovation, leadership, technology, built. Did I get it right? You did get it right. You can stay. Thank you. No and problem. that is the school at Marymount University, or the sub the sub school, I guess. Oh, the college. It's the a college. college. Sorry, yes. college. Well, you you got to give me my like, proper respect. You were the dean of. The yes. dean of. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So. Um, all four letters are important to the local economy for sure. Sure. What is your sense or what's your experience on the kinds of applicants? Do they tend to center around B or I or L or T? Or, or is it more of a broader experience that they all leave with a certain percentage of? Or do they come in saying, I want technology education. I need more leadership training. How, how does that play out? Well, I think that um, we're an interesting canary in the coal mine for what's happened in education here in town. Marymount has a strong liberal arts core. And my college is all about business and tech and design integrated. And what we're seeing very clearly is a, a large increase in demand. Our credit hours are up about 50% over the last few years. Wow. And I'm sure it's the same over uh, other universities. There's almost an insatiable demand right now on the part of employers for people who can come in, understand technology, but also know how to communicate. Mm-hmm. It's a big problem. I, I think we've let... We really let our kids down by allowing them to spend so much time with their cell phones and with Facebook and so forth. And it really is true that once you get out into the world, you have to be able to communicate. And uh, largely because many consumers, in fact, are, larger, are older, you know, and they still expect people to make eye contact and be able to write and, and uh, just communicate. So the opportunity to combine being able to make eye contact, be a leader, have good communication skills with domain expertise and technology or business, uh, frankly, it's there's almost insatiable demand right now. Well, also interacting with managers, and I say this not that uh, an ageist comment, but often managers are older than the young men and women coming out of programs like this, and you have to be able to interact with people that are a decade or two or three decades older than you, and they did not grow up on cell phones. They did not grow up on pads. They did not grow up on Facebook. So that interaction, I'm sure, needs some addressing as well. Well, what's really interesting right now about the workforce is that over the last couple of years, there's been, frankly, a, a war for talent, but also um, more than a low-grade war about how are people going to work. And there was, as you know, a big trend towards remote work and the idea that people could work anywhere. And 
Also, I've been told that managers were feeling like they had to communicate with their employees literally by text yeah. because or Slack because they weren't, in fact, interested in reading emails. It's very interesting. I'm sure we're going to talk about the general economy. I think that the change in the economy and what's happened with the higher interest rates and now the, the layoffs and firings that are occurring, you're seeing a change in the relationship between labor and employers. And what you're starting to see, for example, is more and more employers demanding that people come back to work five days a week. Mm -hmm. And I suspect that what you're going to see now is a continuation of this generational divide. But I suspect that younger workers are going to find themselves having to adapt a little more to the ways of the Gen Xers and the baby boomers than they would have thought two years ago. Yeah. And it's an interesting moment. Well, let's drill down on that because – Many of the venture capitalists and other uh, innovation marketplace observers and participants that you and I know, uh, I always confront them with, or I, I ask them, how do we figure out who to promote? And of course, the obvious answer that they tend to give is the person whose work is best. When I say promote in this work in, in this work remotely arena, how do you choose who to promote? And I say, well, th that's an easy answer, but in fact, the human animal it craves interaction. And in the older days, pre-COVID, you would see certain employees would come in before you and work hard and work all day, and maybe not work hard, but they would stay long hours. And there were other yardsticks for promotion and for uh, for advancement that might be with, quote, soft skills, unquote, but at least that was a feature for uh, management ad advancement. And I think that working from home takes all that out. So what are you seeing on how people are being judged and or promoted? Well, number one, I think that work is the largest social activity that we all engage in. Yeah. Uh, it just is. We spend more time at work than anything else, including sleeping. So as a result, to say, well, work is somehow different from every other social activity, you're already defeating yourself. Mm -hmm. So what works for social activities? Well, people tend to promote people they're comfortable with, people that they like. And like can have different values depending on the organization. Like can be, man, that person's got the eye of the tiger. They don't rest until they close a the sale. Like can be they're really collegial. Nobody gets upset when they talk with them. Organizations have values. Like could be I went to the same prep school as the person. Well, sadly. Exactly. Yeah. It, yeah. Could, it could be in the, in the world of, of privilege, that person looks like me. That person mm -hmm. sounds like me. There are a lot of different like me's because ultimately humanity, we're all flawed. But we want to be safe. That's the big tension in, in society. We seek the, the, uh, to be around other people, but we also seek safety. Mm -hmm. We like the familiar. So this new world that we're in, basically what it's doing is it's separating job function. There are certain job functions that, frankly, you don't have to be social to succeed. People don't have to like you. You can be valued on the quality of your work. Yep. I don't think the software engineering, for example, is likely ever to – to be something that you have to be in the office five days a week because you can evaluate if somebody's a good coder if they're delivering code on time. Right. I think that the salesperson, again, it's very binary. You're closed in sales or not. But when you start to get into things that are, are creative in nature, where the uh, development comes from regular interactions, it becomes harder and harder to do that without some human connection. And I think that what we're seeing now is that basically the terms of employment are going to differ by industry and they're going to differ by job function. That's probably the biggest thing that COVID's done for us, Mark, is it's changed the way we look at work so it is more flexible depending upon how talented you are and how important you are and how well you're able to work independently. That's the voice of Jonathan Aberman. He's our guest today on What's Working in Washington. He is the Dean of the College of Business, Innovation, Leadership, and Technology at Marymount University right here in the DMV. So let's drill down on 
job content and what you were just suggesting. You know, it's funny. The first time I saw the initials TLDR was when I worked at AOL a long time ago. Too long, didn't read. Thanks for pointing that out, Mark. Yeah, Yeah, thank you so much. Anyway, too long, didn't read. And to your point about Slack and text, it's amazing to me how, again, this is ageist, but uh, younger employees that went through COVID and insist upon working remotely believe that short messages can get a lot done. And I guess that's true. There's always a lot of extra verbiage and memos and stuff like that. But I, I believe that there's a lack of context in conversations that happen digitally over Slack or text that being face-to-face can often can often include. Are you seeing that? Uh, what I'm seeing is absolutely that. I see it in our students, uh, how they make argument or not make argument. I see it very much in how they process information. The problem fundamentally is, is that if you engage in short bursts of communication, it's unclear whether or not you actually have a broader contextual understanding. Right. Mm -hmm. Because I can if you ask me, hey, will this project be done on time? I can say, sure, it'll be done on Thursday. That's a short communication. Or, hey, how are you doing on changing that module I need? Are you on track? Yes, I'm on track. Have you tweaked the thing I want you to tweak? Yes, I have. But are we communicating the broader issues of what the other parts of the code have to be? No. Are we communicating what the larger business issues are if you fail to make your deadline? No, we're not communicating. It's the context that gets lost. You know, I am struck by, you say the too long didn't read, when people talk about Amazon as Mm -hmm. a great example where every important strategic meeting, the person who's the protagonist of the argument has to prepare a memo Mm -hmm. that's read first before people discuss it. So in an Amazon environment, you have to be a really good communicator, but not for a one-sentence thing, but for a two- or three-page thing. Mm -hmm. And I think that the too long didn't read phenomenon is, in fact, true. We are now acculturated to wanting to get our information in small bites, but we have to adapt you have to have context, and you can't have context unless at some point there's a larger give and take. You have to do vision sharing. You just can't do it through little bits through Slack. With respect, I use Slack, and Slack's great for keeping in contact and keeping a project going. Slack is not good for sense sharing, mission sharing, and coordinating large conceptual things. It's just not. Well, the example I use on Slack is, is um, when the salesperson comes back and says the prospect said no, why did they say no? Right. Usually that's a lot longer conversation that the company needs to address and perhaps they need to shore up a certain product feature or maybe the customer said or the prospect said no for reasons that are prospect sensitive. Now you can type all that. You you can type out long Slack descriptions, but the interaction with the sales team as to where it's going, I think I think we need that. But you just give me a, a great use case example. I go off and I try to make a sale. I come back. The customer said no. I send you the message. Oh, well, that's that stinks. I do that 10 times. I'm communicating to you I'm failing in the field. What I'm not communicating to you is the context. Why am I failing? Is my is it too expensive? Am I wearing the wrong color sneakers? Right, was your personal hygiene? Right, right. You, you, just don't, you don't know. <laughs> right. And and so without that context, the product managers can't evaluate the feature set. The salespeople can't evaluate the messaging. You can't evaluate that particular employee's effectiveness. That's what I'm getting to. It's context. You have to organizations have to have a shared sense making in order for an organizations to grow. There needs to be direct connection between sales, product, uh, execution, st- strategy. It all has to happen. And yeah, you can, best way to describe it is you can be a great quarterback. Pat Mahomes, Jalen Hurts, great quarterback in the moment, lateral throw forward pass. In the moment, they're unbelievable. But the game plan, 
the ability to feed back about why did that play work and not and make adjustments during a game. You can't do that through Slack in the moment. You have to do that by evaluating data and communicating. I know you try to sneak in a Philadelphia Eagles I have reference. to do that, of course. A good Philly boy like yourself. Jonathan Aberman is our guest today on What's Working in Washington. We're talking about all things that matter in a post-COVID work environment. So let me ask you this. I We've talked about, I, I hate quoting Mark Andreessen, but strategy eats, cult, I'm sorry, culture eats strategy for breakfast. Yes. And I think a lot of what we're talking here ends up being culture-centric as opposed to sort of execution-centric. And let me ask about the educational environment. Clearly, your school at Marymount University, you're, Marymount's one of five or six, maybe more, prominent universities in the DMV. Oh, yes, absolutely. Do you feel that everything you and your colleagues are seeing and the challenges you face every day and the types of organizations that you're running in your college— are other schools seeing the same thing? I'm sure they are. I mean, I'm, I'm looking at the growth of the technology and business programs around the region, and I'm looking at the change in our business community. And and there, this is a great place to build a business career where you're involved in technology. We're not unique in that regard. We try to be unique by focusing on certain things like bringing in design uh, directly. But at the end of the day, what we have in the D.C. region is we have a very strong change in the nature of work. It used to be, well, not used to be, we used to be very government-centric, and we still are, but there's a lot more industry here that isn't around government, but it still benefits from being in the D.C. region. And all those different companies, whether they're Amazon or, you know, J.P. Morgan Chase or C-Vent or various other companies, what do they all have in common? They need, they need great workers to understand tech and how to communicate. So we're absolutely seeing that. So when we come back here in What's Working Washington, Jonathan Adler and I will discuss AI and how that is affecting higher education. Because guess what? The essay you wrote back in social studies or English or even whatever, you know, psychology at your college, Sheen could write it today. We'll be talking about that when we return. Listen, we want to put out a huge thank you to our listeners who put us in touch with some of the best voices in Washington, D.C. and the region. We've been hearing from you through Twitter, LinkedIn, and other direct messaging. On What's Working in Washington, we talk to power players about innovation in the federal government and how businesses in the region are keeping us competitive. We talk to the brains in the nonprofit world, restaurant domain, and next-gen tech. If you know someone we should be talking to on our show, let us know. Keep those ideas coming. And thanks to all of those who stay in touch with us. We're here with Jonathan Aberman. Jonathan, great friend of the show, but also the dean at Marymount University of the School of Business Intelligence. I'm sorry, Business Innovation leadership and technology. Jonathan, welcome again to the show. Maybe intelligence, too. It's hard yeah, to say. It's hard to separate hard the two eyes. I think it is. So uh, we were all teed up to chat about AI, artificial intelligence. And as you and I have experienced, both as you in the academic arena and as a venture capitalist, and the same with me, you know, it was sort of simmering for, for years as something big. Yep. And it seems like, like a lot of things, it just exploded in the last 18 months. Mm -hmm. Now it has exploded, in my personal opinion, at a level where it is, it is intruding on traditional behavior, both in business and academics and government, at a level might have been hard to predict. So let's start with business. I'm sorry. Let's start with academics. Well, so what are you seeing students using AI for that you're worried about? Well, I think you need to take a back step, Mark. 
when you talk about explosion, AI has been, artificial intelligence has been an area of significant investment by both the federal government first. You know, Siri came from federal dollars, for example, and, and now the venture community. It's been a hot area for a number of years. And artificial intelligence, what it does is it mimics human behavior. All that's happening now is that people were afraid that AI was actually going to start to mimic humans to a level where humans would be substituted. And what we've seen over the last year is an explosion of AI's ability to mimic basic things that humans tend to think as the preserve of them. So, for example, you're talking about the, the chat function, the ability to write something as if it's a human. We also now have demonstration projects from Google, for example, that can compose music like a human. Art. And, and art yep. like a human. So what it's doing is it's making people say, well, wait a minute. Um, if if software can mimic human creativity, are we heading towards a world where humans no longer matter? That's the dark fear. Yeah. And we'll come back to that in a moment because it's a fear, but it's an opportunity. And I'll come back to that. You asked about academia. The biggest challenge that academia faces right now is cheating. And not just because of this latest thing, you know, as you pointed out, the uh, the chat AI that just got into Wharton Business School by right. writing a great right. essay. It's not just that. It's It's lots of different services that are out there that allow students, if they're so motivated, to basically get somebody to do their work for them. Mm -hmm. But, you know, while academic institutions try to figure out how to make students not cheat, what they really are doing is they're, they're acting out, in fact, the bigger issue, which is if, sub, if software can substitute and mimic human behavior, where does that leave human beings? Mm -hmm. So how the streams connect, in my opinion, is, and this is where education and, and business collide is the at the end of the day ai is going to substitute and mimic human creativity it is it, it's going to substitute and it mimics a lot of behaviors now it mimics lawyers trying to figure out which cases to apply it mm -hmm. mimics which uh, medicine a doctor should prescribe it mimics lots of things already the challenge is ultimately what can ai not do and ai a lot of people spend time talking about ai it's like oh one is going to be conscious you know what we don't even know why we're conscious. Consciousness is something that truly we do not truly understand. But software doesn't have to be conscious to substitute for repetitive tasks. Mm -hmm. But what AI can't do, and this is the best example I could come up wait, with. Wait, wait, but I had to break in. Okay. You, you said repetitive tasks. Yes. But you were just talking about tasks that are not repetitive, which is creativity. Well, they're, so they're, the they're, they're but here's like, the thing. What's fascinating is they may, they're not repetitive on an individual but contextually, we'll come back to context from an early conversation, they are repetitive. I'm a musician. I, I write music. I, I produce music, as you know. And damn good stuff, Thank by the you way. very much for that plug. But the point is that when I compose a song, I'm using tools, I'm using vocabulary that has context that I've developed over time. I listen to other musicians. So while a particular song may not be, may be creative, songwriting is a duplicable, it's a duplicable task. Duplicative. It's a, yes, it's duplicative. Yeah. So if you have a large vocabulary, if, for example, if I'm a piece of software and I know what – I do a lot of electric guitar music, but Carlos Santana and Jimmy Page and others sound like, software can say, oh, I'll pull some Jimmy Page, I'll pull some Carlos Santana. They like to play an A minor and spit it out. So that's what I mean. What's happened is software is emulating creativity by mm -hmm. basically taking the creative process, which can be duplicated – pull it in contextual information, and then spit it out something that looks like creativity. But cheating used to be plagiarism. Now cheating is 
using well, AI to but it's, create but it's, something new. But it's still plagiarism. No, no, I, I'm, I'm but, just but, asking. But just to be clear, okay. to chat AI, what they're doing is it's it's crawling the web and pulling information in that yeah. other people have created or other software's created and spitting it out. Plagiarism is taking information that you didn't create and making it your own. So it's I, the same I, phenomenon. Here's your first AI joke you're welcome to use. My okay? first AI joke? I'm going to tell you the first AI joke, which is... Uh, and you're supposed to say you you supposed knock, to knock. answer. So no, uh, hey Jonathan, I just created a word. Really? It's plagiarism. Okay, that's, that's not. A, come dude, on, you're supposed a, to laugh. I'm okay, here all ha, week. Ha, ha, ha. It's your great. first. It's right, your first now, AI joke. Now let me give you my AI analogy to put this in context. Okay. So <clears throat> AI can be trained to to know that when the rooster croaks, croaks, or cro I, I want rooster to croak. Having been woken up, when the rooster crows. The sun's about to come up. Yep. You can train AI to do that. What you can't train AI to do is imagine the counterfactual, meaning the rooster didn't crow. Why? Is it having a bad hair day? Yeah. Did the world end? Is it a Twilight Zone episode? Yeah. Are we about to fall into the sun? You know, did, did, the, did the farmers say, you know what? I just hate that rooster and choked it to death the no, night before. It's, no, it's getting better than that, Jonathan. Well, you know but you They are me? thinking that up. No, I mean, you can't you, because you can't. The old, you remember the old joke that that when you asked an AI program which is better, a clock that loses one minute per year, right, or a clock that's broken, it said a clock that's broken because it's perfectly correct twice, twice a day, a year, right? Yeah. Which is the counter, twice which is the lack twice of counterfactual, right? Yes. Right. Yeah. So, but I think AI is getting better than that. They wouldn't answer that in that way now. It would know if the crow, if the rooster did not crow, it would have subsets right world ending is way down on the chancing line it, 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 it's figuring out isn't but it or creates, not? but true creativity is capturing lightning in a bottle okay true insight is capturing the truly novel and and by the way ai couldn't imagine the ten thousand imaginative ways that that farmer could off the chicken mm -hmm. right yeah. so <laughs> so my the point yeah. the rooster so my point is to say that in a lot of ways what's going on with ai and we'll continue going with ai looks a lot like what happened in in Britain in the steam revolution. You know, Britain was an agrarian economy as we were here. Steam power became ubiquitous and there was a rapid industrialization where the farms became mechanized and a lot of people left the farms and found employment in cities. Got it. New kinds of jobs because they knew how to do those jobs. What's lacking right now is the societal conversation about how do we educate people so they can use AI and provide that value add. And, and how do we allocate the financial benefits of AI making companies more and more profitable? Yeah. You know, it's, and, and so, for example— well, let's, wait, yeah. let, let, let's go back to academia. And just to remind our listeners, that's the voice of Jonathan Aberman. He is our guest today on What's Working in Washington. I'm your host, Mark Walsh. Jonathan is the dean of the School of Business, Innovation, Leadership, and Technology at Marymount University here in the DMV. So let me ask, did you— when you went to high school, did you have to sign um, a pledge that you would not cheat it on the test you handed in? Yes. Did you, you had an honor code. I did. Yeah. I had an honor code in my school as well. I pledge on my, I, I pledge on my, uh, I, I pledge as a St. Paul's gentleman, I have neither given nor received aid in this exam, whatever, I forget the, the exact right. word, had to sign it for every single one. Do you believe that schools will have to institute an honor code so that papers and tests have that? Or do you think it won't even matter? We, we already have an honor code. Every university has an honor code. But here's the thing. Okay. Just to be clear. Do they? Student, absolutely. Okay. Students cheat. It's just, it's it's students cheat. And they don't just use technology. I mean, I had a situation come up last semester where where a student hired a uh, a person to write their paper. 
Yeah. You know how we found out? How? That student didn't pay the, the person because they only got a C, and the person was so angry they turned the student in. <laughs> it's a true story. Okay. You can't make this up. Yeah. So my point is to say that there's always going to be a subset of people in life who cheat. That's the nature of society. We, we can tell people to be honorable, and some people be honorable and some won't. What I'm getting at, though, is this issue with AI and academia is not really about cheating. It's about, as a society and as a people who are preparing people to compete in society, don't we have an obligation to teach them how to work with AI yeah. so they can continue to be relevant? And that's why I concur. And that's why, you know, I merged or wanted to merge design and tech and business because yeah. it was to help people float above this. And I think that's the obligation of every educational person. Now, to focus on cheating is to miss the, po miss the point. So AI is one of many topics we were hoping to discuss today. And as we wrap up this show, What's Working in Washington, you and I should talk about the economy. Mm. Because it seems like, and we're not going to suggest specific dates, but it seems like everybody's expecting a recession. And the media has already described it as like already happening. But it seems like we're defying gravity. What's your sense? Well, I think that we are defying gravity from the standpoint of the consumer saved up a lot more money during COVID than I think the Fed expected. You yeah. know, that the standard behavior of raising interest rates to cut down demand is always driven by cutting down labor demand. Yeah. You know, it's always wages that cause the Fed to act. And it's not really the inflation of financial assets, sadly. It's wages. So what we're now seeing is that, in a funny way, it's almost performative. The expectation- the What does that mean, Meaning that the Fed said, look, I'm going to raise interest rates until you guys break. Yeah. Right? Basically, I'm going to raise interest rates until there's a recession. Wall Street starts talking about recession. Corporate America says, you know what? We got to get ahead of this. They start Let's laying fire people. 10, no, people. seriously, they start laying people off. Yeah. And what that does is it changes the dynamic of labor. And and there we talked about this earlier about the relative supply and demand factors. Yep. And if you look at the most recent data, you're seeing wage growth is actually wage growth is actually decelerating. It it's sad but true that there's a direct correlation between wage growth and inflationary concerns. So in a funny way, between the debt crisis, you know, the, the debt ceiling thing, which constrains the Fed uh, because they can't be as active because Treasury can't buy and sell bonds because yep. of the debt ceiling. And with the change in wages, I think there's a decent chance that interest rates are not going to be as high as people thought. And you're going to have a coast is clear, the coast is clear rally in the stock market. And all of a sudden it's going to be honky dory. I think you summed it up quite well. It seems as if it seems performative, whatever your great adjective was. So listen, we ask all of our guests, as you know, at the end of our show, if they ruled the world and could wave a magic wand, what would be one thing that would start happening that isn't happening today or one thing they would stop happening that is happening today or both? What well, say you? Today, I get rid of the debt ceiling. It's nonsense. It undermines the country's ability to govern. And we're going to have a massive financial calamity in September, if not before, where a lot of people to use the term performative are going to do a lot of posturing about money that was already spent rather than being responsible. And I'd like it very much if Congress actually did their job and did a budget and adopted a budget every year and stopped with this nonsense. It is nonsense. And what's your bet on the Biden administration taking extraordinary things like a trillion dollar coin or some alternatives like that? I think that the, it's not in anybody's interest to do anything at all until this becomes a crisis, sadly, because yeah. until we break the fever of this, I'm going to use the term again, performative politics. Yeah, it's not about it's not about economic principles. It's about owning the other side. It, the, the administration has to let this fever break it to the point where it may be a scary time. But I think it has to let it break. 
Well said. Jonathan Aberman, our guest today on What's Working in Washington, the Dean of the School of Business, Innovation, Leadership, and Technology at Marymount University. Thank you, sir. Always great to be here, Mark. Thanks. The team behind What's Working in Washington is a great group. The executive producer and editor is Tracy Madigan. Online content, Anna DeGraff. And that theme music you enjoy, performed by the Sunbathers. You've been listening to What's Working in Washington on Federal News Network and streaming as a podcast.